so we um, finished the, we had a mini series within our larger series last um, eight or nine weeks. And uh, we finished that up, and this week we're moving on in the Sermon on the Mount. And I find it interesting, the first thing that um, he talks about after um, these internal character qualities that we should have is this exter- what that will look like externally. Um, and that is that we're going to be salt and light in the, in the world. And so we're going to talk about that. What- <laughs> She's happy. All right, so we're going to talk about that. So last week I started with the story. This week I'm going to start with the story, too. Uh, this one's different than last week's. Uh, it says, a quiet forest dweller lived high above an Austrian village along the eastern slopes of the Alps. The old gentleman had been hired many years ago by a young town council to clear away the debris from the pools of water up in the mountain crevices that fed the lovely spring flowing through the town. With faithful, silent regularity, he patrolled the hills, removed the leaves and branches, and wiped away the silt that would otherwise choke and contaminate the fresh flow of water. By and by, the village became a very popular attraction for vacationers. Swans floated along the crystal clear springs. Mill wheels of various businesses uh, were located all along the waterways. Farmlands were naturally irrigated. And the view from the restaurants were spectacular, picturesque beyond description. Years passed, and one evening the town council met for its semi-annual meeting. As they reviewed the budget, one man's eye caught the salary figure being paid to the obscure keeper of the spring. Said the keeper of the purse, who is this old man? Why do we keep him on year after year? No one ever sees him. For all we know, the, strange, the stranger uh, of the hills is doing us no good. He isn't necessary any longer. Our town looks great now. Let's get rid of him. <laughs> By a unanimous vote, they uh, dispensed with the old man's salary, and he was off the payroll. For several years, nothing changed. By early autumn, the trees began to shed their leaves. Small branches snapped off and fell into pools, hindering the rushing flow of sparkling water. And one afternoon, someone noticed a slight yellowish-brownish tint in the spring. A couple of days later, the water was much darker. Within another week, a slimy film covered sections of the water along the banks, and a foul odor was soon detected. The mill wheels moved slower, and some finally ground to a halt. Swans left, as did the tourists. Clammy fingers of disease and sickness reached deeply into the village. Quickly, the embarrassed council called a special emergency meeting. Realizing their gross error in judgment, they hired back the old keeper of the spring. Within a few weeks, the veritable river of life began to clear up. The wheels started to turn, and new life returned to the hamlet in the Alps once again. So this story is more than an idle tell. It carries with it a vivid and relevant analogy directly related to the times in which we live. What the keeper of the springs meant to the Swiss village, Christians mean to the world around us. Christians may seem feeble and needless, unimportant, and small to the vast majority of the world. However, God help any society 
society that attempts to exist without the influence of Christians. As Christ's ambassadors, we are assigned the position of influencing and impacting our world, not unlike the old gentleman in the Alps. Jesus called his followers to be frontline militia. Nowhere do we get the impression that Jesus wanted us to live in isolation, separated from the world. It is impossible to live, truly live, for the kingdom in private. We're called to make a difference by influencing and impacting the world around us. Unfortunately, the church has lost a lot of its influence in the community. And now there's a lot of reasons why this is so, but I think that one reason stands out above the rest. The church has lost its influence because Christians have neglected their responsibility to be salt and light in the world. And as we've neglected to be what God has called us to be, the world has decided to ignore us. The flip side of that is also true. When Christians decide to be salt and light, the world pays close attention to what we have to say and what we do. Let me put it simply. When we are salt and light, the world listens to us. When we are not, they don't. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the New Testament, the message, explains our position of salt and light in the next part of our scripture passage found in the Sermon on the Mount beautifully. And so I'm going to read from, um, from that, that translation or that paraphrase. We're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. If you have your own Bible, you might want to turn to that. It says this, let me tell you why you are here. Anybody ever wonder why they're here? You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors of the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that, you, now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God, this generous Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. Not nicely put in that, yeah. in that paraphrase. In our day and age of big thinking and large images, I find it interesting that Jesus commissions us to be salt and light. Salt and light are strange figures. Why not appeal to our pride? Like if he's saying, you know, uh, Sam, I want you to be salt. <laughs> I'm thinking, salt, really? Not, not garlic or oregano or even, you know, like pesto, mix a couple of those spices together. No, he says, I want you to be salt. He could have motivated us by saying, I want you to be the eagles of the world. I want you to be the lions of the world. I want you to be the stars in the universe. But rather, Jesus said, you are the salt seasoning of the earth. You are the light bearers in the world. Understanding why Jesus used these two terms is really important to revealing the substance of our influence, of how we are to influence the world. So let's start by answering the question, 
What do salt and light do? What do they do? What's their purpose? We're going to do that in order to fight to better understand why Jesus used these two terms to describe the Christian's role in the world. So, what does salt and light do? I think the reason Jesus chose these two metaphors is because of their unique qualities. Both carry enormous influence. Both have immediate impact. Both are noticed instantly. Both are difficult to veil. And both are universal. Think about it. Both are enormous in influence, salt and light. They immediately impact. Have a bowl of beans without salt. Then put some salt on it, right? You'll taste the difference. Go into a dark room and then turn the light on. It's immediate. They're noticed instantly. It's difficult to, to veil them. And it, they are universal. So let's take a closer look at salt. So what did Jesus mean when he said, Christians are to be the salt of the earth? He says, you are the salt of the earth, um, and that has become a very famous saying. Um, if you like somebody, if they are a good person, if they are genuine, useful, honest, straightforward, without hypocrisy, we say they are the salt of the earth. Anybody ever hear that saying oh, yeah, before? Yeah. Yep. Salt was one of the most common substances in, ancient, in the ancient world. Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt and would revolt if they didn't get their ration. Our English word salary, S-A-L-A-R-Y, like your paycheck, comes from the Latin word salarium, which literally means salt money. Anybody ever hear the expression, that yeah. man's not worth his salt? Yeah. You ever hear that one? That's what that means. Well, the, the phrase is a reminder of the high value that um, had been placed on salt in biblical times. So let's talk about some of the uses of salt and how they relate to the Christian life. Um, first, salt is a preservative. Even today, salt is used as preservative. Um, if you don't believe me, taste um, pork, bacon, right? There's lots of salt in a, a lot of pork. In the ancient world, the primary function of salt was to be a preservative. Um, basically, salt delays spoilage. And likewise, believers act like a preservative in the world. As we bring the word of God and the kingdom principles into our society, we help protect society from the full sway of evil. Imagine our land with no churches, with no Christ-centered social groups, no Christian colleges, with no Christian missionaries, no Christian organizations ministering to those in need. Second, salt is a flavoring. Simply put, salt seasoning, whatever it, come, whatever it comes in contact with, it changes it, right? Salt can make the difference when applied to food. In a similar fashion, Christians bring seasoning to life and can make all the difference when applied to the world. Three, salt is an antiseptic. In ancient times, newborn babies were rubbed in salt so that the cuts and infections um, were uh, in this primitive way were um, they were protected against um, infection as well. So the baby would be rubbed in salt and then they would swaddle it, and that was an antiseptic, um, you know, way way to take care of a newborn baby. And while this sounds painful, the clear cleaning out of a wound with salt was a very effective in fighting infection. 
And Christians have a responsibility of not only pointing out sin, but offering healing and help that's left behind when we sin. By applying our influence, we can prevent the ravages of disease and, um, and death that is caused by sin. For salt creates thirst. It's been said that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. However, you can give him a salt tablet to make him thirsty, right? Jesus made people thirsty for God the Father. He lived his life in such a way that people turned their attention towards God in heaven. Christians can make people thirsty for God by simply living out the Beatitudes in their life. So let's take a closer look at life. Jesus not only said that we are to be the salt of the earth, he also said that we are to be the light of the world. And the dictionary defines light as the source of illumination. So let's talk about what, what light does. First, light dispels darkness. Have you ever been in a situation that is so dark that the darkness was powerful? Yeah, I've been in that situation. It was all-consuming. I remember... Um, as a teenager, I worked out at camp, and, and uh, on the weekends or our days off, we would go explore the nearby caves. And um, inevitably, we would all turn out the flashlights, and, and the darkness was so dark that you could almost feel it. Feel it. It was so dark. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was that dark. And then somebody would simply light a match. And one match would suddenly illuminate that entire area. The darkness shrank back and allowed us to see, all because darkness cannot overcome even one little light. You are that light in the darkness. As Christians, we reflect the light of Christ, bringing people out of their spiritual darkness. Two, light reveals. Darkness conceals, but light reveals. We've all walked into a darkened room and not known where things are, right? We stumble around. But once the lights are switched on, the entire contents of the room come to life. My husband can have the lights on and still stumble around the room if he takes his glasses off. <laughs> as soon as he puts his glasses on, then the entire contents of the room become revealed. As Christians, our presence in the world, we become his instruments of light that reveal his truth to a world living in darkness. Three, light awakens. Light tells the brain it is time to wake up. They even have alarm clocks that are light. Uh, I can't remember what they're called, but basically it's the sun coming up in your room, this light that illuminates you into an awakened state. And that's probably obvious to anyone who has to turn on a light in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and then they get back in bed and they can't go to sleep because the light has woken them up, right? Ephesians 5, 4 says, For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We are to be the light of the world, awakening men and women to the truth of God's word and awakening society to the presence of God. Four, light warns. For centuries, light has been used as warning mechanisms. What are some of the warning mechanisms uh, that, uh, of light? Anybody think? Lighthouses. A lighthouse, that's a great one. What else? What? Police cars. Police cars, yes. What else? Paul Revere. 
Paul Revere? One life yeah, one life oh, for Yes, 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 there you go. Yes. Yes, uh, ambulances. Uh, what about warning lights on your dash in your car? Oh, yeah. Right? There are lights everywhere, flashing traffic lights, warning us to slow down. In the same way that Head these lights. lights reveal to us dangerous waters, caution ahead, and impending problems, Christians are to shine their light in order to reveal the dangers of sinful living. So now that we have a better understanding of what salt and light do, let's talk uh, about and ask the question, how can we make an impact by being salt and light? Now, we're called to be salt seasoning and light bearers in the world, and his words here are not a suggestion, but a commandment. With urgency in his voice, Jesus said, if you are salt, then season. If you are light, then shine. So how do we do that? Well, I am so glad that you asked. First, we need to recognize that our distinctiveness makes a difference. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. He didn't say you are like salt. You are like light. We are commanded to be salt and light, not just to be like them. The common denominator of salt and light is their uniqueness, their distinctiveness. There's nothing quite like salt. And there's nothing quite like light. Jesus, uh, Jesus said just as salt is different uh, than any other seasoning, salt is different than pepper, and light is distinct from dark, it's different from darkness, so are Christians different from the world. Have you ever been with a group of people and someone started to tell a, a, a terrible joke, an off-color joke, and then they saw you and they stopped talking? Yeah. Or they said, oh, I'll save that for another time. Your distinctiveness was coming through. Have you ever been with a group of people and they suggested going somewhere that was not healthy, right? That you wouldn't want your children going to or knowing about. But then they said, oh, we better not do that because Adam's with us. And Adam doesn't do that anymore. Your distinctiveness was shown through. It's the Christian's distinctiveness that makes difference the difference in the world. In business, it's called marketing. In advertising, it's called positioning. In basketball, in basketball it's called strategy. In Christians, it's called holiness. It's a distinguishing feature about us. It's what sets us apart from the rest of the world. Blaise Pascal said, the serene, silent beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world, next to the might of God. Second, we need to stay close to Christ. Jesus warned his followers, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Maybe the most important thing about salt is that it, in its purest form, it never loses its taste. Salt will always be salt. It's an extremely stable compound. You can put it in a dish, you can walk away, come back 10 years later, and it will still be sodium chloride salt. The only way salt can lose its saltiness is to be mixed with something else. 
The point Jesus was making is that it's dangerously easy for Christians to become deluded and lose their saltiness. They're preserving influence in the world. So if we're not affecting the world, the 